everybody, Coach here. How you doing this week? Man, I have found my way back out into some of my old hometown haunts and found spring. Spring has sprung out here. Even though it's a little cool yet, still uh, high 50s, low 60s, still uh, really, really nice. Just one thing missing. No effing rain. <laughs> no rain. We had uh, just a bit of a spritz about two or three days ago, and there ain't nothing in the forecast for... Jeez, two and a half weeks or more. Hey, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started into this week's topic. We're talking about residential landscape problems. Those big five that tend to rear their head and how you can find them, assess them, and take care of them. So for a while now, I have spoken a lot about how to design, create, and maintain your landscapes in kind of a DIY fashion. I have mentioned some problems, yes, particularly the drainage one, but not solving, not solving a lot of them. So today we discuss that big five of residential landscape problems and how to address them. You will find a common thread throughout this episode, I guarantee it. See if you can pick up on it. Alrighty, let's get going. Hey, I'm Matt, you can call me coach. Every Friday I bring with me landscape DIY education, concepts and theories, ideas and solutions, so you guys can go out and tackle a landscape project yourself, get professional results, save a whole lot of money in the process, and in this day and age, be a lot more self-reliant. Man, after a 20 plus year career in the green industry, I'm bringing with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I wanna share with you guys the new, modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. You know, over the years, these big five landscape problems are quite common. Now, I have to throw a small disclaimer out, and that is that these are problems that I addressed as a professional regularly in my area of Northern California. Maybe in your area, there might be an additional problem that I have not addressed very much because maybe I haven't seen it, you know? So if there is, man, drop me an email or drop me a comment and let me know what it is, how you have solved it. And if you don't know how, let me know what it is and I'll help you solve it. So the problems and the solutions for this week are these big five. And I'm gonna go from one to five, not in any particular order, because sometimes these problems can be bigger at one time than another one can be. So, number one, residential drainage and water management. Number two, irrigation system, if you do have one. Number three is the soil conditions that are present in a landscape. Number four, plant health. Plant health, all around health, not just one particular plant, but everything. And number five, pests and diseases. These problem categories rear their ugly head regularly and can consume a homeowner's time and in some cases a wallet. So without further ado, let's jump into drainage. In my estimation, mechanical drainage, you know, a system that you install yourself or have installed and the grade of your landscape, grade meaning slope away from your dwelling, etc., are in the top I would say the top two, maybe a three, depending if, if you're in the hills, maybe drainage isn't quite as important. But if you're in lowlands and flatlands and stuff, man, it's right up there in the top three. And drainage is something that should really be done, done correctly the first time, and done in the construction phase of the landscape. 
every year, I, I, I can't find, I was doing some scouring, but every year, hundreds of thousands of homes go unprotected and wide open, just open themselves wide open because of bad grading and bad drainage to water damage as a result of flooding. This many times can result in structural damage and tens of thousands of dollars in repair costs, mold remediation and the like. Drainage systems have to be placed correctly the first time and great care needs to be paid attention to regarding the slope of the trenches, the type of materials you're using, correct drain box placement, good French drain installation practices for uh, capturing runoff and stuff, and prevention. Prevention of once it's installed, preventing debris intrusion into the system and causing basically a plugging up over time. At my house at Weed Patch Ranch, the drainage system was paramount, paramount to water management on my property there. We did not have slope and the original owner, the original owner was a doofus. He put the house not totally in a low spot, but in kind of a, the yeah, I guess it is. I, I guess it was kind of the lower spot. My shop and my garage sat higher than my house. And so when I first moved in, I found I found a horrific drainage system. There was no drainage system, but there was horrible drainage. I had water going underneath my house after two weeks of being there. If one has a good system installed and it works correctly, then annual maintenance or even two times a year maintenance, depending on your situation, can go a very, very long way to ensuring proper operation and prevention from clogging and uselessness in the long run. You know, either gravity drains or mechanical sump drains are an upfront investment, they really are, and can easily be installed by homeowners after a little instruction and some good common sense application. Repairs to these systems can be labor intensive depending on the problem presenting at the time. If a good system with proper maintenance suddenly goes bad, you know, I might suggest you look for some of these problems and their solutions. Number one would be clogs from rodents, which I have seen. When people have an open-ended drain system that has a three inch or a four inch pipe, those guys will go wandering up in there. They'll build nests, they'll do all kinds of stuff. And when the rains come, their nests and stuff can clog it up. And all of a sudden you got water gurgling out at your downspout or overflowing your drain box. And that's a pretty easy fix. You can do that with a, a high pressure garden hose and shove that thing down in there. I used to always put a, a, a 45Y on a couple sections of the drain systems I used to install and it gave the homeowner a real easy access and DIY capability of shoving a hose down in there and making sure everything was washed out in the fall or the summer depending on where you live and they had the ability to take care of it themselves. And if not, you can always call a plumber. They've got in-camera devices that they can put up in there. They've got great, great hydrojet type of uh, devices they can put in there and clean almost anything out, including little knife cutting things on their machines. And I've, I've hired plumbers before for people when I couldn't even get the clogs undone. So there you go. You gain that really important interior view of your system. And I believe you could probably rent some of those cameras uh, and put it up in there if you've developed problems. But once the problem is discovered, correction will, you know, kind of be straightforward. The jet nozzle, garden hose, or maybe a plumber with a, a cutting tool. As far as the big three of fixing it, it's unclog it, remove it, or dig it up and re-slope it correctly. Usually in newer installed and improper grading and backfilling, I have found 
newer systems not working correctly. People got in a hurry or a pro got in a hurry, the slope wasn't done, the trenches weren't compacted, and you ended up with this roller coaster finish after the first rains or so. And so water was not flowing anywhere near uh, the volume it should. And then you start having settling of debris in there and nothing's flowing, so nothing gets cleaned out. All right, let's move on. Irrigation. This addresses many things, but mainly need, coverage, type, and performance. Remember those four terms. Mainly need, coverage, type, and performance. Does your landscape need supplemental irrigation? Some places that I've been, no, you do not. But if so, how often through the growing season, how often through the year do you need to use it? How much for the landscape that is present? And once again, I refer back to the podcast and the YouTube video regarding compatibility. How about for turf, especially out here in the West, how often do they have to water? How often are they allowed to water now? Big Brother has to step in because many people have this philosophy that as long as water's coming out the tap, there ain't a problem out there. I still got water coming out the tap, so there's no drought. Oh, that, that's just narrow mindset, it really is. How about, does the existing system serve the current state of your landscape? And what I mean by that is, the system that was installed when everything was brand new, hey, everything got covered, everything worked really great. But now that the landscape is maybe a decade old and all of those beautiful little baby plants are all grown up and does the system that is present adequately cover everything that needs to get covered? Sometimes plants overgrow spray heads. Sometimes turf, uh, depending on the kind you have, tends to get a thatch layer in your and your pop-up sprinklers don't cover or don't get up above the turf and water correctly. So there's, there's a dressing there. And the type of irrigation suggests a couple different kinds. You have the, the shrub heads on risers, you have the pop-up sprays for turf and sprays for the planting beds, and now certainly more along the lines of conservation of water, drip irrigation for planting beds, and even subsurface drip irrigation with products like Netafim and stuff like that, where you can actually subsurface water in planting beds and turf, and there is virtually no evaporation. All the turf and all the beds can use the water. What it does put out for 20 minutes is like a tenth of what a spray head would put out in 20 minutes. Finally, the performance. Is the system functioning correctly via all the parts, via the timer, via the valves? Are the pipes all in good shape? And are the end water delivery devices, the spray heads, the emitters, etc., are they all working correctly? Are there breaks, cracks, leaks, drip, you know, that reduce pressure and flow and eventual coverage. These are things that are very important to an irrigation system. Irrigation is just one more thing within the landscape that can render many hours free for you when operating automatically off a timer, or it can frustrate the hell out of you when you see stressed out dry plants, dry lawn areas, or even worse, a dead and dying landscape because you didn't keep your eye on the ball and something went wrong with some part or all parts of your irrigation system. Some knowledge, and this is super important, some knowledge about what you have, what you have and how it works. Kind of like your car. Maybe your refrigerator, maybe your computer, etc. This really helps. This knowledge helps. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying right now as you're listening or watching. 
Coach, if my car isn't working, I'd take it to the mechanic because I don't know jack squat. Good. Then at least hire a pro to come and inspect and repair issues with your irrigation system or with your drainage system. Don't put it off. The whole thing is don't put it off because then one problem can go to another problem which can mount to three problems which causes five problems and pretty soon you don't have a repair you have a replacement needed and that's what you're trying to avoid. Doing a manual walkthrough every spring and I mean zone by zone valve by valve. Look for leaks at the valves first thing off. Are any of the valves dripping and leaking? Do you have that, you know, calcified water or algae growing or, you know, super wet spots under the, the valve assembly there? That's number one. Take a look at the wiring. Look at the wiring closely. Is it basically all wrapped up nice and neat? Are all the, the wire connections tight and covered? Look for those as you're turning on valve by valve. Look for those slow closing valves. The ones that take a long time when you turn them back off that it doesn't shut off very well and the heads keep weeping and continue after the valve has shut down. Look for emitter function on the drip systems. Filter checks within the pressure reducer valve and the filters on your drip systems, those should be taken out. Those should be taken out, inspected and cleaned at least twice a year depending on the kind of water you have. And any supply line damage both PVC or black poly type of stuff, you need to, to inspect it. That's why you turn it on and you walk it and you look at it. You know, if you have broken pipes, especially uh, supply lines on your drip system or PVC pipe, you're gonna see it. You're gonna have a little mini explosion of water out there. And those are fairly easy and straightforward to fix. It just takes a little bit of time, you know, some couplings, a couple of, uh, expansion repair couplings that you can get at any box store or hardware store those are easy fixes and make sure you do it because you don't want to waste all the water and you don't want to do any damage to your landscape you know if you're in some of the colder areas especially you guys up north these systems should be drained in the fall if you haven't already most people are pretty aware of that stuff uh, this can be tough on rubber seals sitting all year long with no water in there and cold dry weather and stuff on rubber seals inside valves, you know, they can crack. They can get uh, weak and brittle. So when you do turn them on, you turn that system back on, really inspect those valves closely. You know, fixing, fixing all of this stuff is just a matter of a little bit of skill set and educating yourself on how to do it. It is not hard. It may be a little time consuming, yes. But hey, calling a pro out like me to do it, I can remember charging, yeah, that was in, 2017, 18, you have a bad valve and I had to come out and replace it. It was going to be a minimum, depending how far I had to go, a minimum about $140. When really, if you did it DIY, it probably cost you less than 60 between the valve and couplings and glue and primer and stuff. You could fix it yourself. And the most common, the common irrigation breaks that I used to see were the sprinkler heads themselves. They would get snapped off because of pets running by. They would get hit with edgers, hit with mowers, kicked by kids, and they would crack the, the understructure, the little Schedule 80 gray connectors and that kind of stuff. That's why I always suggest, and I always used, swing arm assemblies by Rainbird or other companies 
and it really prevented a lot of that stuff. It would, it would lay the sprinkler head over or lay the riser over, but then you just dug it back up and straightened it again and you were good to go. So, little tip. When it comes to the irrigation system, valves can go bad after a while, especially the solenoids, which can fail and cause valves not to open or close. The solenoids are easily replaced. Turn off the water and they can be unscrewed. A new one can be put back on there and rewire it back up. Timers can have wires gnawed on by rodents. Uh, it can be hit by shovels or other cutting tools. And shoot, I've even seen soccer balls and tennis rackets go through the faces of irrigation timers in garages, on sidewalls and stuff because of carelessness. So, but those are all easily replaced. And if you take pictures of it before you take it off the wall, and you know which wires go to which valve, take pictures up close of what valve one wire color was, etc. You've got an hour at the most taking care of that and putting it back together. You know, doing all the inspections, doing an inspection for a, a standard residential area, you can get this thing done in 30 minutes. I mean, or less, depending on the size of your system. Turning on each valve. Now, if you have 30 freaking valves and you've irrigated two acres, okay, it's gonna take a little bit longer. But we're talking to the average here. If a problem is discovered and a skill set is lacking, you can always reach out here. Right here, right here at Yard Coach, and I can I can walk you through it, either in writing or on Zoom, one or the other. It doesn't cost you a thing, so let me know. Mature landscapes can often interrupt proper coverage, and sometimes heads or lines eventually need to be moved a little bit to provide better coverage for everything that is present and alleviate that all-important plant blocking of a sprinkler head, which I've seen dozens and dozens of times. You know, what was a little dinky gallon can plant is now four by four, and the sprinkler head comes up right in the middle of the plant. It's not doing anything any good except for that plant right there. And that was not the intentions of the original installation. Is it work? Yeah, but trying to save you a buck here, the alternative can be costly. And if things go really bad, can be quite an eyesore when you start seeing things die off. All right, moving on to soils. Discussed in a previous episode, long time ago, I think it was probably uh, March, maybe April of last year. It is a good idea to kind of determine what soil you actually have as far as type, consistency, etc. basically the soil makeup, and to make your plants compatible with such soils. Soils can be amended, they really can. You can take the worst Georgia red clay and do a 50-50 mix with an organic amendment and plant your plant. It is a short-term solution as eventually Mother Nature is gonna break down all those organic amendments and if not replaced, then you're left 18 months, two years after planting, then you're left with a plant that may be able to thrive in such a condition or it may just stay right in that hole and never really get going because it's happy where it's at and it can't contend with that heavy red clay soil. The old adage of working with Mother Nature and not against her is a strong, strong recommendation. For instance, going back to drainage, heavy non-porous clay soils or rocky soils with no landscape drainage or poor grading can result in, like I said, flooding, inability to use the area uh, as well. Again, and most importantly, can become a threat to the home itself. So the types of soils, it's great if you have great drainage, if you have a sandy loam soil, lucky you. 
but a lot of people do not. And sometimes, as we have seen on places like Reddit and stuff, where people have freaking ponds in their backyard because it's poorly graded soil, it is non-draining soil, and it's been sloped and, and cupped out to where you're almost ready to have ducks start landing. Throwing topsoil at it, well, it can start the process of correction, but topsoil as it is for, like I've seen so many people, you know, put a layer of topsoil down over crappy soil so you can put in sod or you can put in seed, especially over a hard compacted soil, creates what they call a stratification. And your seed will germinate and your lawn will get going, but it'll always have a really, really shallow root system that can be easily stressed by a dry period and it just never gets a real healthy root system. Just like slapping new sod down in the same situation. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of production contractors out there come in and drop two yards of topsoil on crap soil and throw their, throw their turf down and go, there you go, ma'am, I have a new lawn. Well, yeah, you do. But something happens where I water and water and water and, and the turf just never really gets going. Yeah, well, that's, that's why. You know, you put nice topsoil over crappy soil. So always amend the, the, the existing soil as best you can. Good organic amendment, till it a minimum of two inches, if you can get four inches out of it, and then rake it out, compact it back down, and then you can do your seed bed or your sod bed. All right, moving on to plant health. You know, plant health is one of those things that really can present in a myriad of ways. On some occasions, it can present when it is already too late. A classic example for me was uh, a bad case of Pseudomonas bacteria that infected one of my Bing cherry trees back at Weed Patch Ranch. And it was on the back side of the cherry tree. I did not catch it in time. And once it's already established, it's really hard to turn back the hands of time for something like that. And I eventually lost the tree. And oh my God, Maestro, and I love that tree. Oh, yep, it was, it was just one of those things. Again, just like irrigation systems, we look to inspect, assess, and maintain with a sense of knowledge of what we have in the landscape. If you have a dozen different kinds of plants, you should know each one and take a few minutes when you got some downtime and study up on each plant. What is its needs? What is it like? And then compare it to the situation it's in. If it's happy and you just keep on keeping on with what's there, fantastic. But if you have something that's struggling, maybe you need to read up on it and find out what could possibly be the issue. So inspecting the current plants may mean a once a month walk around, maybe four times a year or in a case of like container plant material, once a week and sometimes more. Assessing from one inspection to another can identify potential problems of plant needs that have arisen. And then correction can be something as simple as pruning, maybe spraying, maybe feeding or fertilizing. And in some cases, you know, like perennials or, or certainly annuals, maybe cases of plant rotation and replacement may be called for. Sometimes we all just grow old, you know, and we need to be replaced. <laughs> Knowledge of what those plants are, their healthy nature and potential problems can really help to notice in advance of impending loss. Impending loss of the plant vigor and vitality, the production, if it's a fruit tree or a berry vine or vegetables or whatever, and then the proper solution can be applied. 
but knowledge first. Knowledge and a preemptory prophylactic approach so that you're ahead of it. Over the years, the single biggest problem I saw was for plant material was settling. Settling within the plant hole it was planted in. Probably 90% of the problems that I consulted on. This caused soil and mulch to kind of fall into and around uh, the crown of the plant. And there's a lot of respiration that goes on there. And basically crown rot and other problems, you know, come to stay for a weekend and then stay for a week and like bad relatives, all of a sudden they hang around and just basically ruin everything. The signs of something like that you can see will be the plants are wilting and yet the ground is moist. The plant is dropping leaves or it has a lot of yellow leaves. Or maybe you'll, you'll see a branch die back and other symptoms such as those right there. Discovered early, it can be reversed by digging the plant up carefully, making sure you, you get a lot of the root ball and then raising it back up, compact that soil underneath it really well and then put it back in. And oftentimes the drainage there will now go down around the outside of the root ball rather than come in towards the crown and trunk of the tree or plant. The second most was watering. Second most problem for plant health that I ever diagnosed was watering. Too much, too little. Watering a cactus way too much or not watering a hydrangea uh, was generally the problem. And it, it came back to drainage issues, irrigation issues, etc. The third was non-compatible plants with different needs. You had a hydrangea and you had manzanita. And those two generally don't go together very well. One requires a, a pretty moist environment and another one would prefer being moist one time a year and then left the hell alone. And the two don't go together very well. Timely maintenance and applied correctly can prevent the potential of plant death or a lack of the old thrive, the old thrive of plants not just survive throughout the landscape. It's really important that you stay ahead of this curve. It really is. And that's where your walkarounds are very, very important. All right, last one, pests and diseases. Just to name a few, think about these. Rodents, other animals. It could be like rabbits, it could be raccoons, birds, and insects. Nothing like painstakingly nurture along a great peach crop only to have it ruined or virtually ruined with an attack of birds that come in and go, ha ha, free food. And they peck the living bejesus out of your peaches. And there you're left when you're ready to harvest to put some peach preserves up or peach pie or, you know, a fresh peach and they're all bird pecked. Yeah, it's, it's really, really depressing. Another one is a uh, deer deer that have access to prize ornamentals in your yard and do constant, constant daytime, but mostly nocturnal trimming until the plant just gives up and checks out. And that plant, what did it cost? You know, a five gallon plant nowadays you put in the ground, it's probably 40 bucks or more. And if it suddenly becomes the dessert of our ungulates in the area, it's a real waste of money. It goes right down the drain. Another thing is maybe new sod new sod or a seed lawn that gets invaded by gophers, which weren't there before, but were pushed your way because of the lot next door got developed or the one behind you, you know, and gophers were there. And because of all the disturbance, they got pushed to your yard and now they're popping up in your brand new sod lawn everywhere. Holy crap, 
What a depressing thought. And then you can think about crows, you know, if you're raising corn and stuff, they can come in and do a little bit of damage. Raccoons, squirrels, and the like can all wreak havoc on your ornamentals. Do they deserve a death sentence? <laughs> nah, coach isn't going to go down that rabbit hole. No pun intended. I will leave that up to you and PETA. Maybe yes, maybe no. Oftentimes, control is the answer. And control by maybe having to put up deer fence, the plastic deer fence that's seven feet tall. Bird netting over your fruit trees when they come into season. Motion-activated sprinklers. Lightweight chemical deterrents, although I don't see those work really well unless you're on it all the time. For those gophers, ha, man, a really good cat. Really good hunter cat. I used to have a cat called Pumpkin, and that cat, I swear to God, that thing was born and bred somewhere to get mice and gophers. And she was fed regularly, leave it no doubt. But she would go out in the field behind the, the house I had, and she'd bring back a gopher, and she'd bring back a gopher 11 months out of the year. And she'd bring it up to the slider at the family room door, and like cats do, they love to play with their kill. And she'd want to show it to you. Hey, look what I got. Look what I did for you. Especially with mice. You know, we were in kind of a semi-rural area, and there was mice. And holy cow, man, I miss that cat. That was a great cat. As far as the deer, a good, well-trained watchdoggo uh, goes a long ways to keeping deer out of the yard. Not a chronic barker now. Not something that goes chasing deer for two miles if he sees one. Just, hey, keep the deer out of the yard type of thing. Most landscapes will face some or all of these challenges at one point or another. These big five are the ones that I've come across and I wanted to share with you. The whole common thread, if you haven't picked up on it, is keep ahead, keep informed, keep skilled up, and many times only run to the store once and make it a small fix and don't wait till it's a big pro problem or a whole grab yourself by the face going, what the hell do I gonna do now? How did this happen? I don't want you to have to walk down that road. It's not fun and it's very frustrating and can be very costly. Hey, that's what I have for you guys this week. Hey, if you have any questions or concerns, something that you can't figure out yourself, I'm only an email away. And I sure did appreciate some of the emails I got this past week. One was really, really a, a heart tugger and I hope she gets her play area done and done correctly now that she's on her own. Now, head over to the website if you don't mind, youryardcoach.com, maybe help coach out just a little bit. I always got the 15-step giveaway there, but the book's only a Jackson and it won't set you back too much. Hey, as always, to your landscape success, guys, I'm glad you stayed with me until this end. Check it out over on YouTube, both the plan of the week and this one in an educational video. You guys take care. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.